Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Uh, Hey, readers and writers, welcome to episode 358 of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words and where reading and writing topics take center stage. I'm your co-host, Sarah Archer, and I'm here today with Brian Biswas, author of The Astronomer. The Astronomer is an exploration of a man's struggle with a neurological disease, the nature of reality, and the workings of his own mind. This novel is both a love story and the tale of a man's journey to find his place in the universe. This is Brian's first novel, but he's also a prolific short story writer. He's published over 60 short stories in the U.S. and internationally, and been nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hi, Sarah. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Well, I'm happy to talk to you about this book. There's so much interesting stuff in here. Um, The main character, Franz Herbert, is an astronomer, as one might guess from the title. (laughs) Um, And we we learn a lot in this book about astronomy. Um, He gives us a lot of information about different planets and nebulae and um, various objects in space and their unique properties. And it feels like there's a lot of technical knowledge in here. Um, so I, I presumed while write, reading this, you either must have a background in astronomy or you must have done your research really thoroughly. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about um, what brought you to astronomy and your interest in that and maybe how that ties into your inspiration for this book? Um, yeah, so I've was basically been an, an amateur astronomer most of my life. I just got in, into astronomy when I was a teenager and, you know, read everything I could on astronomy and had a telescope and made a couple telescopes and would go out at night and look up at the stars. And so I just learned, learned a whole lot about astronomy. And um, so I knew, I knew a lot about, about these different topics, but I did have to do a fair amount of, amount of research as the book went on. Yeah, the, uh, the technical knowledge definitely shows through. Um, and I know you, you live in Chapel Hill. Do you spend much time at Moorhead Planetarium? Not lately. It was it was closed for a while, I guess, during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, all. that would make sense. But um, um, I was in grad school out in Illinois, and there was a planetarium out there that we went to a lot. Oh, nice. And I was in grad school in, in Pittsburgh, and there was a planetarium there that we went to a fair amount. That's convenient. Yeah, yeah, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Chapel Hill, Moorhead is, I think it's one of the larger planetariums in the country. Um, they have some really good programming there. Um, but in addition to astronomy, there's also uh, a lot of mythology in this book, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Herbert tells us a lot about kind of the stories of the Greek gods and goddesses and ties those into his intergalactic travels. Um, and that combination was interesting to me because I at least tend to think of mythology as something very ancient, whereas I think of you know astronomy, science, space travel as being very modern. Um, so the combination of those two was interesting to me. Can you talk about how you decided to combine those two interests in one character? Um, yeah. Um, so it's basically all this is this is a hundred percent a character driven book. I mean, th- there's a there's a plot. Well, it's it's about this young man, um, Franz Herbert, who's a down on his luck astronomer. He made an important discovery early on, but he hasn't been able to make another. And one day he's diagnosed with epilepsy. And um, he's given various treatments that fail. 
and he's told he's going to have to use his mind to control it. Um, he does this with, with a fair amount of success. Then he realizes he's also gained the ability to travel throughout the cosmos at will, making scientific discoveries to his heart's content and reviving his reputation. Um, eventually his wife realizes that he's nuts and can't deal with him and she leaves him and he has to decide whether to try to win her back or abandon himself to the cosmos. So, so th that's, that's the book in a nutshell. Um, it's really a book about obsession and the difficulty of moving on af after a traumatic event. So to try to get to answer your question, um, Franz Herbert, the, the main character, he clings to his, his first love, the stars, as he tries to move on from his wife leaving him, but she keeps coming back into his life to, to haunt him. Yeah, and the book um, extends over, what, like 50 or 60 years of time? It, it covers a long time span, which I think really allows you to get into that idea of the kind of long-running effects of trauma and how that obsession can, can go on for years and years. Right. It, it starts in the 20s, and he actually discovers the planet Pluto in the later 20s, and, um, but he can't make any other, other, other discovery afterwards. Um, and so he just basically abandons him, himself to the, to the stars and has various cosmic adventures and philosophical musings as he proceeds through and tries to understand his life. Mm -hmm. um, how did you come up with this character, Franz Herbert? Is there any kind of real-life inspiration for him? Well, that's a story in itself. <laughs> um, the, I, I told you earlier when we were talking that the whole book was true. Um, which isn't exactly true, but the beginning of the novel is true, and it happened to me. Um, I was 13 or, or 14 years old, and I was having what I could only describe as out-of-body experiences. Um, I felt like I was, I was looking down on myself and observing what was going on. It was kind of frightening. Yeah, I, and I remember telling I remember telling my parents about it, right? And they took me to a doctor who examined me, probably did some tests. And then he announced that I had epilepsy. Okay, which is not something I want to hear. Mm -hmm. And he prescribed drugs. Drugs which must have been psychedelic because they literally turned the walls of my bedroom many colors. Wow. Colors that like drip down the walls, mm -hmm. like in a Salvador Dali painting. Remember, I'm like 14 years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I went to my parents and I said, I don't think this is working and I don't really like this stuff. <laughs> so they called the doctor and this is this is all basically how the book begins. So anyway, they called the doctor and he sent me to a hospital where I had these electrodes plastered to my head and then I was told to go to sleep so they could um, take these readings. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that wasn't going to happen, right? I'd never been in a hospital before, yeah. and I'm kind of scared. And I remember the nurse coming in with these jigsaw puzzles that I was supposed to do to, like, tire me out. But none of that worked. I don't think I slept at all that night. But evidently, they did get the readings that they needed. And the next morning, a specialist comes into the hospital room, my parents are there, and he said that he'd examined the, my brain readings and that there was nothing wrong with me. Mm -hmm. 
I should stop the medication and I was free to check out. Wow. <laughs> and that was like it. Just okay. go, go about your business. <laughs> well, you know, that's great. You know, I don't have this I have to deal with. But when I got home, um, Sarah, I'm still having these bizarre feelings occasionally. It wasn't all the time. It was occasionally. I'd feel like I was out of my body looking down on, on things. So I asked my mom what was wrong with me at one point. And she laughed. Well, she probably didn't laugh. But um, she said something about puberty. Mm-hmm. And then she added, oh, you just have a wild imagination. Mm-hmm. So it was probably then that I decided to become a writer. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, from that point on, to answer your question, from that point on, I had this character swirling around in my head, the character who became Franz Herbert. Mm-hmm. And he was just back there, and he wanted me to tell his story, um, his story of being here in this world and there, out there, and at the same time, which I found is what um, epileptics kind of say is what they, they feel like much of the time. Mm-hmm. So, but I didn't want anything to do with Franz or his story. I just wanted to forget this whole experience. And so I just um, shunted him aside and wrote other stories and other novels. And um, eventually these feelings kind of went away. But Franz never went away. And he kept coming out and bugging me. So at one point, I was probably about 30, um, I gave in and I wrote a short story. Mm-hmm. And the short story was written by Franz, a short story about Franz. Um, the story was written by Franz's psychiatrist, where he talks about a patient he had who once thought he could travel to the stars. And he just talks about his whole life. And it was written in a very journalistic, just the facts style, completely different from the style of, of the novel itself. And that story, as you probably have guessed, became the novel's epilogue. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I thought, okay, I'm done with it. I can get Franz out of my head. But he still wouldn't go away. (laughs) Um, He was still bugging me. And so at some point, I said, okay. He said he wanted wanted me to tell his story in the first person, and he wanted it to be you know, the way it really happened, not the mm. way the psychiatrist thought it happened. He wanted it to be in the first person, and he, he wanted it to be a novel, not some flimsy short story. So at that point, I said, okay, I put everything else aside. I said, I got to get this guy out of my head forever. Mm-hmm. So I wrote what became his autobiography, which is The Astronomer. It's amazing how And then I attached the epilogue yeah. to that and um, sent that off to the, to the publisher and they accepted it. Um, in editing it, the publisher suggested that I have a prologue in which I explain how the book came came to be and how it was put together. Basically, that's the point of the prologue. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wrote this book backwards, <laughs> the epilogue first, and then the autobiography, and then the prologue. Yeah, I was curious about the, uh, it's sort of like a frame narrative almost with the prologue and the epilogue, which are two other, a professor and a psychiatrist giving sort of their takes on Herbert's story. And then in the center, you have the bulk of the story, which is written in these diary entries from Franz Herbert um, over the years. Um, 
I guess I know part of it was with a suggestion from the publisher, but how did you kind of decide to do that frame narrative with the prologue and the epilogue? Like what, what do you hope readers are going to get from hearing um, the story from these three different voices? Well, the epilogue, again, the epilogue was done first Mm -hmm. and that's how, how the story really happened. Um, The autobiography is how Franz perceived what his experiences that he was going through. And then the prologue is basically, originally I was going to start with the the autobiography and then have the epilogue. But as my publisher pointed out, it would, that could have been kind of confusing to the reader because they're going to probably take everything that Franz says as being true. So it would be good to have a prologue to kind of set the stage and say how, how the book was, was discovered and um, and put together. Yeah, interesting. It also allows you to kind of um, get at these ideas of like reality and perception and how we all perceive the truth in different ways, which I, th- I think is always an interesting theme. Yeah. So, so when I was writing Franz's story, you're going to think I'm nuts, <laughs> but it was really like he was talking to me. We hear and, writers say that all the time with their characters. Oh, really? So if you're nuts, yeah, you're in good really company. Like he was talking to me and, you know, um, I wrote probably 20, 22 drafts of his autobiography because he kept saying this isn't right Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know um um so it's um kind of fragmented where he's got all these crazy adventures that that he went through um as far as the diary entries go so so the it's the chapters um talk about the portions of portions of his life on earth and then the diary entries are um his adventures what he experiences in out, outer space, in the cosmos. And they usually end with some philosophical reflection that ref- talks about, refers to what's going on in his life at the time. Um, the first draft I remember I had five or maybe six diary entries between each chapter. See, there's 13 chapters, so there's 12 holes between the chapters. And I had five diary entries for each, between each chapter. So 12 times five is what, 60? So I had 60 of these diary entries um, sprinkled throughout throughout the book, which was a lot of fun to write. And I learned a lot about Franz and doing that. Mm-hmm. But um, then when I read the whole book, it was like the diary entries just swamped the story, right? So I, I cut that down from five diary entries to one. Wow. So you'll have a chapter and then one diary entry and then a chapter and one diary entry. Um, so yeah, the other diary entries are just on the cutting room floor, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Which is really, it's probably one of the hardest things for a writer to do. It's so hard, but um, <laughs> I think it's, they call it killing your darlings, right? Like <laughs> sometimes you just have to kill stuff, even if it's good in its own right, if it's not serving the overall story, um, it has to go. But yeah, that's that's always a tough process. That's probably one of the hardest things to when you're first starting out writing. Mm-hmm. Because as you say, they're your darlings and you've worked really hard on this and you're really not confident of your writing probably at that point. Yeah. So you, you don't want to throw away something that you think is really good. One thing that um, I find helps me with that is I like to, um, I'll save it in an earlier draft or another document or something. And that way I'm kind of tricking myself into thinking like, oh, it's still there. I can come back to it and use it. And, you know, 90% of the time I don't. <laughs> you don't? Yeah, I was <laughs> just going to say that. I yeah, do that all it's the time. Easier. You'll, sa- you'll save everything in this folder mm-hmm. and... But you usually don't have it because <laughs> it's just not quite right. Right, right. Well, I, I'm curious too, like knowing that 
uh, part of the story is from such a personal place for you and inspired by some of your own experiences. What was it like to write that? I mean, was it difficult? Was it cathartic at all to write about um, the epileptic experiences? <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been asked that before. Um, I guess, literally, I had to get this out of my system mm-hmm. so that I could sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Franz was keeping you up at night. <laughs> Franz was keeping me up at night. So yeah. I can't say it was really cathartic. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really got into the character. I probably got into the character too much. You really you need to keep some distance yeah. from your characters when you write. That's true. But I found him really fascinating. You know. Yeah, I find him fascinating to read, and it sounds like he was very, uh, very vocal in your mind, <laughs> which always tells you there's. Something well, he was to write he about. was very vocal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and also like one thing that I loved about this book is just how imaginative it is. I mean, you've got. Um, as Franz kind of goes between different planets and throughout the the universe, um, the descriptions of his travels were very imaginative. I mean, there are Greek gods and goddesses showing up. There are Martians. You kind of never know what he's going to encounter when he goes somewhere. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about uh, creativity in writing. Do you feel like that just flows naturally for you? Or are there certain things that you do to kind of like get the imaginative juices flowing? Literally, it just, who knows, it just pops into your head. Yeah. You know, where do thoughts come from, as I say? That's um, true. You, you yeah, as my mom that. said, I have a wild imagination. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's that's a writer's best tool, I think, is to have that imagination that won't quit. <laughs> yeah. As, as far as the, the gods and goddesses goes, I think Franz, so, you, so you've got, you've got, him in outer space, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the gods and goddesses, and they're always they're both kind of intermingled. And I think that he felt this kinship with the gods and the goddesses, because as he says, they live in two places at once. Mm-hmm. Um, they have their godly realm, and then they have the earth over which they rule, right? And just as he lives in the cosmos and on earth. So I think at, at one point he even talks about wait, maybe he's one of their descendants and that his seizures are really a result of this being in the one world and then the other world. Yeah, I love that kind of dichotomy of him feeling like he's in two places at once. And I think for a writer that's sort of relatable, even if it might not be to the extreme that Franz Herbert experiences that a lot of writers do live inside their heads <laughs> so much of the yeah, time and live in their imaginations. Right. And um, that sort of separation between the mind and reality, I think, is a really interesting thing to think about. That's, that's basically the, the, the overriding theme of, of the book, mm-hmm. the difference between the mind and reality. I mean, you've got, you've got this psychiatrist's um, version of events, and then you have Franz's, and they're quite different. Mm-hmm. So which is real and which isn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if, if you noticed, but at the beginning of the book, Franz is rooted more on the earth, right? And then as the book progresses, he, and then he starts having these flashes where he's in outer space and mm-hmm. things. As the book goes on, he spends more and more time in the cosmos with brief forays back to earth. Yeah. You know, as he's going back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Until the end. Yes, we won't give away the end, but <laughs> his eventual trajectory. 
Um, well, and I, I loved reading about his travels throughout the universe and visiting different planets and learning kind of the um, the facts of what their atmospheres are like and all of that. I'm curious for you, like, say hypothetically, you could visit any other planet in the solar system. And we had the technology to get you there safely. You can walk around on the surface and not die. <laughs> Is there a particular planet that you would most like to visit? A planet? Mm -hmm. Probably Pluto. Pluto. I've always been fascinated by Pluto. Oh, that. So Pluto was, he, he discovers the planet Pluto. Mm -hmm. Um and then if, if you remember at one point, um, Pluto is, but that was his one discovery and he could never really do anything later, which which always troubled him. And that's part of the reason that he, when he was in the cosmos, imagining he was in the cosmos, so he could make all these discoveries, yeah. which he never tells anybody about because he's mad. Yeah. Um, so, so at one point later in the novel, um, it's declared that Pluto's no longer a planet, you know, which is, it's not spoken of, but it basically devastates him because here's this mm -hmm. one discovery that he made, and now it's it's been overturned. Yeah, right? it's not really a planet. Well, and that idea of like uh, perception versus achievement, I guess you could say, and being um, being misunderstood or misjudged as a creative or uh, intelligent person, I think is another theme that runs through the book. Um, you see Franz being misjudged and misunderstood by kind of his scientific colleagues, by the public, by maybe his wife and son sometimes, by doctors. Um, and that's also something that I've heard writers talk about sometimes feeling like people don't always understand their work or perceive it in the way they want to. Um, you reference Galileo a lot, who was obviously misjudged by his right. peers Right. Yeah, at the that time. was that was definitely done on purpose yeah yeah I, I mean is that something that you ever think about as an artist as a writer is what are people going to think of what I'm writing and how are they going to receive it and is it going to be what I intended no <laughs> good answer no, honest, no honestly I mean there are people who write for the, the public you know there are people who write for themselves um, I'm basically just whatever whatever stories in my head is what comes out mm -hmm. um I don't think about it. If, if other people read it and enjoy it, wonderful. Um, I think it's pointless to try to write something that's going to be popular because you don't know how long it's going to be before this comes out. You don't know, you know what's going to be popular then. Yeah, that's so true. So you have to, the writer has to be, you have to be true to yourself and write what you're feeling and, and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, follow where basically. the characters tell you to go. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottemeaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. Um, well, I have a few more questions for you, but first I would love to have you read us um, a bit from the book. Do you have a passage that you can share? Yeah, I went, <clears throat> went back and forth. I usually, when I do readings, I read from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Where, where he's um, has his, his epilepsy, but I think this time I'll I'll do something different. This I'm going to read the last page of the book. Oh wow! Is that okay? <laughs> bold. <laughs> sure. I'll be bold. I'll read the last page. No spoilers. Mm -hmm. um, this is actually the last diary entry. Um, there's one diary entry between each chapter mm -hmm. and they usually refer to something that's gone on in the previous chapter where he's making a philosophical comment about what's going on in his life at that time. But um, this one is the final entry. It wasn't 
dated and it doesn't reference any events in his life, in his manuscript. So Martin Pasquale, who's the, who wrote the prologue, who put the novel together, um, he didn't know where to put it. So he just stuck it on the end mm-hmm. of the book, right? Um, it did have a, a title, though. It's called The Room at the End of the World. Great title. Um, it's just a couple minutes. The Room at the End of the World. There is a door at the end of the hall. You open it and see a second door. You open that and see a third. When you open this door, you're not surprised to see a fourth. You continue stepping inside and opening doors. You do this for a long time. At some point in this repetitive process, you realize that each door has been painted a different color. You have no idea why this is so, but you find it interesting. A while later, you realize that not only is each door a different color, but that the colors are following in order the colors of the spectrum. Shades of red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and violet, and that each color is more brilliant, more radiant than the one before. It's indeed an interesting phenomenon. It never occurs to you that you might be lost and had better go back. And it's a good thing this does not occur to you, for if you were to turn around, you would see there are no doors behind you. They are dissolving into nothingness the moment you step through them. At last you reach what you believe must be the final door. It's painted a brilliant white, and it's so bright You must cover your eyes to keep from being blinded as you open the door. You expect to see a stately room, for it's been your experience that all doors lead to rooms, and if one must pass through many doors to reach a room, it must be because it's a very stately room indeed. Or if not a room, perhaps another door, this being a labyrinth into which you have stumbled and from which you shall never escape. But you see neither a room nor a door. You see nothing, emptiness, the void. You're at a loss. Taking a deep breath, which you realize may well be your last, you step through the door. Nothing happens. Did you really expect something to happen? Only another door appears, and you step through this one, too. The end. (laughs) 
I love so that. that's it. That's probably, that may be the only page I've ever written in the second person. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that on purpose, like, because I wanted it to be a, a different kind of a meta to set it off from the, the first person of, of his autobiography to be basically a comment on his entire life. Yeah, yeah. A series of going one place and then another place. I mean, I don't know if you, if you remember, it's, there are a couple points in the book where he says he feels like he has one foot in one door mm -hmm. and one foot in another door. Yeah. He's in two places at once. And he's That's what this, this is basically supposed to be a comment on. It, it made me, uh, I kept thinking of the doors of perception as you're reading that, which I think was an Aldous Huxley line, but it was also the, the basis for the band name, The Doors. <laughs> oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I never it has knew that, that, that kind from. of trippy quality, but yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, so well, France is kind of trippy. It's true, <laughs> which I like. Um, I like that you take us there. Um, well, I had a couple other questions before you wrap up, but I know you you mentioned that you also write short stories, and you've published pretty widely as a short story writer. And this, um, I think, was your first novel. I know that um, this was a character that had been with you for a long time, and maybe seemed like he deserved more than a short story, but a uh, how do you sort of approach longer fiction versus writing shorter fiction? Um, do you have a preference between the two? Uh, yeah, I've been asked that question a number of times, too. It just, I wrote a lot of short stories first, honestly, because um, you can write a short story in a, in a few months and mm -hmm. be done with it and send it off. Um, a novel, I take years to write a novel. I write fairly quickly usually because I've had things sloshing around in my head so it can come out quickly, but I spend a lot of time editing. I'll spend years editing. Um, and so that's just a lot of time not to get any feedback. And so uh, certainly when you're starting out, um, doing short stories can, can be good because you can you send those out and get feedback and send them out and get feedback. Yeah, that's quite um, true. Um, that, that's basically it. Um, this was my... The Astronomer was the third novel that I wrote. The first novel I wrote is in a drawer and will never see the light of day, mm. as I'm sure you've heard a thousand times yes. before. <laughs> the second novel I wrote um, was basically storyboarded. Um, it's on the publisher's desk right now, so hope, hopefully that will come out in a year or so. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, but this was this was the third novel that I wrote. Um, yeah, and you also have um, you have one collection of short stories out called A Betrayal and Other Stories and um, a forthcoming one as well, right, called Blister and Other Stories? Blister and Other Stories, yeah. Those are all about um, 20, 20, 21 stories in each, and they're basically magical realism. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit um, about magical realism because I, I love that as both a reader and a writer, um, but I'm curious what draws you to that genre. Like, why not either go straight realistic or full-on fantasy or sci-fi like what is it about that middle ground that you are drawn to that's a great question too i think it's just the way my mind works mm -hmm. i mean i was always fascinated in by magical realism from being a teenager reading garcia marquez and and Donoso and elvaro mutis a lot of the south american magical realists even franz kafka um there's just something about about the realistic and then the magical put together that just ticks my imagination. Yeah. But I've also I've also written straightforward science fiction and gothic stories too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't like to be you know just do one thing. It's good to do two different things. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, speaking of speaking of Franz Kafka, it's really crazy how how things that readers ask you about. Um, did you mean this in a book mm-hmm. or that in a book? And honestly, a lot of times you haven't even thought about that, <laughs> but they're really there. Yeah. For, I mean, for instance, I had a reader the other day say, um, Franz Herbert. Oh, mm-hmm. is that a combination of Franz Kafka and Frank the and Frank Herbert? Yeah. You know, Franz Kafka, the angst-driven writer, the and Frank <laughs> Herbert, who wrote you know more hardcore mm-hmm. science fiction stories, which captures you know captures both aspects of of Franz Herbert's personality you know but I had to be honest and say no I never thought of that yeah, you're just like, yes, but it of really course. makes sense I, I totally intended that <laughs> I've <thought of> it <laughs> all along <laughs> no I can't do that take credit <laughs> um well I wanted to ask you as well one last question which is something that we um ask a lot of our authors which is if you could go back I think and, I know what it is can you can you guess <laughs> A piece of writing advice to your younger self. To your younger self. Yeah. God, I mean, there's so much. I mean, I've been, so I've been writing, I've been seriously writing since I was 16 and I'm 66. So that's what, 50 years. Um, So we're going way back, Mm -hmm. Sarah. But um, (laughs) in general, I think I would say, don't be too hard on yourself. Um, Writing's hard enough as it is. Um, there's a tendency to think I'm not a writer because I've never published anything, right? And then I've published a story, but in a journal nobody's ever heard of, right? Or I published a book of stories, but that doesn't count. Mm -hmm. It's not a novel. You're not a real writer unless you've published a novel, or I published a novel, but it didn't sell all that well. Or, well, my books are selling, but I haven't been on the New York Times bestseller list. You know, and that, that just goes on and on and on, and it doesn't do you any good. Um, one thing I've noticed in talking and listening to other writers is that no matter where you are as a writer, you probably think you're a failure deep down. Um, that you're not, or that you're not a real writer, mm-hmm. which is just rubbish. Um, if you write, you're a writer. Um, the validation is in the words that you put down on the page, not in society's acknowledgement of them. Yeah, that's that's such so, great advice, and um, that, that, that's in general mm-hmm. um, what I would say to my 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 younger self. Specifically of specifics, I would say read everything that you write aloud at some point, not initially, but when you think you have a story that that's done, read it aloud. Mm -hmm. If you can record it and listen to it back, you will hear, you'll find so many things wrong with what you did. Um, You can, the the structure of sentences, the the cadence of the sentences can be off. Um, Things that, you know, just um, using wrong words will pop out at you. Um, So there's no substitute for, um, from reading your work, work aloud. Um, and then write your first draft longhand, mm-hmm. which I don't think a lot of writers do. I haven't talked to a lot of writers who do that. But I found, um, to get back to your question, when I was, I found that when I first started out, I'd do everything on the computer. But it's too easy to edit on the computer, mm-hmm. right? 
So I would find myself going over and over page one and over and over that first sentence on page one yeah. um, to try to get it right and then never really get past page one. So do everything longhand because it's harder to edit that way. You know, you'd have to start over basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just, just write it all out, get it, get that first draft all down, and then um, type it in the computer and, and edit um, as you normally normally would. That's a great point. I, I've heard a lot of writers say that, like just when you're doing a first draft, get it out, don't self-edit as you go. Um, Absolutely. But if you're struggling I mean, with that, that's a good idea. Make yourself yeah. write it longhand. You know, say Jenny came into the room and move on. Mm -hmm. And then later you can say what Jenny was wearing and what yeah, she looked at yeah. and, and stuff like that. Get the story out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard for a writer to do because you want to get it all down. Right. And especially if you're someone who really enjoys the kind of prose level stuff, you want to go in there and tinker with the sentences and the sounds of the words and all of that. But uh, um, That also helps with the, the white page problem. Mm -hmm. You know, just put something down. Yeah. That's true. Sometimes I have to like copy parts of my notes into the page to, again, trick myself <laughs> um, right. and, and get rid of the white page. And then I feel like it's uh, easier to write all these little mental tricks that we do. Oh, another trick is when you're done writing for the, for the day, stop in the middle of a sentence. Mm. Okay. Like so then when you start up the next day, you've already got that basic thought. Right? Yeah. And then you can just finish that and got that kind of prod you into the next one. Like don't don't so don't stop at the end of a chapter or the end of a section. Stop in the middle yeah. where you already are thinking about what you're doing. And then you're gonna. Be I found that helpful all night too. <laughs> Your brain's gonna be working on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, those are great pieces of advice. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would love to talk with you more, but I think we have to wrap it up here. But um, thank you so much for being here, Brian, for sharing your work, for getting Franz out of your head and onto the page and into <laughs> our hands. <laughs> I assure you, Franz has been banished. <laughs> he's very, he's, he's, you don't think so. No, he's been banished, but he's very happy that he's out in the world. Yeah, yeah, he'll live forever this way. He'll live forever. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, and listeners, thank you for being with us today as well. And until next time, read on and write on.